0: It's time, children can be dismissed to children's church. I say that they're already gone, aren't they? Look at them. <laughs> no, seriously, you can leave. No, it's good. <laughs> like sweet. Well, this morning <clears throat> we're going to talk about we're going to talk about our our mission. I titled this morning's message, Christ's Mission for Christ's Followers. So in other words, if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, then today we're talking about the mission that he has called you to, the mission that you signed up for. I think it's good sometimes to, to, to remember our mission, to remember why does we do what we do? You know, why are we here this morning? What, what is this all about? It's easy for me to fall into a routine where I just kind of get up and I go on autopilot and I'm just kind of going through my life. And, and Sunday mornings can become a part of that. Bible studies, small groups, prayer meetings, youth group, all of those things can become a part of that if we're not careful. And before you know it, the mission for why we started all this thing you know, it becomes lost. And, and the how becomes more important than the why. We have a mission, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're saying, well, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Christian, I want to urge you today to consider carefully the mission that Jesus is calling you to, because he is calling you Just like he called those early apostles, he said, come and follow me. He is calling you, but you'll have to make the decision whether or not you're going to accept the invitation. There's a dialogue that takes place in the book, Alice in Wonderland, and it takes place between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. Alice says to the Cheshire Cat, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here. The Cheshire Cat said, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. And Alice said, well, I don't much care where. The Cheshire Cat then said, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Right? Isn't that true? Zig Ziglar said that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. As Christ's followers, we don't want to wander aimlessly through this life. We want to be about the mission that God has called us to. So today, let's take a look and remind ourselves of that mission. Now, we're going to hang out in the book of Acts today. Actually, we're just going to take a look at the first 11 verses. But as we do that, as we, as we open there to Acts chapter 1, you can start turning there if you'd like. As we do that, let me just say that um, I'm not going to deny that I love this book. I love the book of Acts. I love to read about the way that the men and women of the first century church lived. I absolutely love the boldness that characterized these early followers of Christ. Do you ever read about them and just say, man, they were so bold? You ever just notice that and say, man, why don't I feel like that? I love to read about their commitment to Christ as well as their commitment to each other. These believers in the book of Acts, they were on mission. You get that sense when you read it, don't you? Like there was just like this focus, the singular focus, and they were on it. If you've spent some time reading, if you haven't rather spent some time reading through that book recently, I wanna urge you to do that. And we'll, we'll go ahead and crack open the first 11 verses this morning, but I want to urge you to go ahead and read through the whole book in its entirety uh, and do that even this week. Like, man, that's like 28 chapters. Oh, that's like four chapters in a day. <laughs> I know, it's tough. You can do it. I believe in you. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The book of Acts starts um, by Luke identifying who he's writing to. He's writing to this Theophilus. Now, Luke is the same man that wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician by trade. And we know that he was a close friend of Paul. In fact, we read later in the book of Acts that he actually joined Paul on some of his missionary journeys. And he's writing this book, the book of Acts, as a sort of sequel to his first book, the Gospel of Luke. Actually, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1, just real quickly. It's two two books to your left. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in my former book, Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Luke 1.1. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself... Have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke is writing to Theophilus, and actually, who Theophilus is is really a subject of debate, but I think that what is more important than, than who Theophilus is, is why Luke is writing to him. Look at verse four in Luke chapter one, verse four. He says, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, verse four, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Luke's desire was that Theophilus would uh, know with certainty the things that he had been taught. He wanted Theophilus to know the truth And he wanted him to be confident in that truth. And I believe that Luke's writings, both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, do the same thing for us. They give us confidence in the things that we have been taught. Actually, all of Scripture does that, doesn't it? Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, the office I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. Luke says that his gospel, the gospel of Luke, was an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, the wording there, began, implies that there is more to the story. The ministry of Jesus Christ that we read about in the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were just the beginning of what Jesus was going to do. What Luke is now writing in the book of Acts is the continuation of that story. It's the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the apostles and through the early church. In fact, the book is actually, we call it the book of Acts, it's actually the Acts of the Apostles, if you want the full length of the name of the book. It's the Acts of the Apostles. So Jesus began a work, and now he's continuing that story through the apostles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul tells us that all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The book of Acts here is the continuation of Jesus's ministry through the apostles. He gave them his ministry. Jesus took his ministry and he gave it to the apostles. And here's the cool part. That ministry didn't stop with the apostles. It didn't stop with that first century church. He passed that ministry on to you and I as well. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a part of his ministry being carried out in the world today. The story, the story is still being written. And we're a part of it. There's there's actually a network of churches called the Acts 29 network of churches. Why 29? Because there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And what they're recognizing is that it didn't end at the end of Acts 28. The church is still going on. We're still carrying on the ministry of Jesus Christ in the world today. Jesus has given us a ministry. So the first thing that we're gonna discover about Christ's mission for Christ's followers is that Jesus has given us his ministry. In verse one, it says that these are the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. So the ministry that Jesus has given us is to continue what he began to do and teach. The ministry Christ calls us to involves actions, the things that he did, and it involves words, the things that he taught. It's not one or the other. It's, it's both, right? We need to do what Jesus did and we need to do, teach what Jesus taught. How many, of you ever heard, how many of you have ever heard the saying, do as I say, Everybody's already saying it. You don't say that, do you? Do as I say, not as I do. Everybody just filled it in. I'm afraid to say what I'm going to say next. I'm afraid you say that. I mean this with total love. (laughs) That is a dumb thing to say. (laughs) Okay? Do as I say, not as I do, is not a smart thing to say. You're you're, you're validating your hypocrisy. It's a terrible thing to say. If you're not going to do it, don't ask other people to do it. Right? Parents, come on. (laughs) How many times have I said that? That's terrible. It's not a wise thing to say at all. And kids see right through it, by the way. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said that your actions, they speak so loud that I can't hear a word that you're saying. Let's have to sink in for a moment. Your actions speak 10 times louder than your words ever will, right? You've heard it said, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I and mean, you, you can preach it all day long, but if you don't live it, forget it. Our actions should match our words, and our words, they should match our actions. The ministry that we're called to, it requires both. We need to do what Jesus did, and we need to teach what Jesus taught. Our ministry is to continue what he began. So in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, that he had chosen. Luke tells us that before Jesus was taken up to heaven, he gave the apostles some instructions. He gave them instructions for their mission. Now, we know that at least part of those instructions were what we now refer to as the great commission. You're familiar with that term, the great commission. In Matthew 28, very end of Matthew, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said to his followers, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus is giving you a job description there in Matthew 28. In Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, Peter, at Cornelius' house, Peter says, he, Jesus, commanded us, command, that sounds like more than a suggestion, right? Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter says that Jesus commanded them to preach that. When was the last time that we preached that? Really? I'm just asking. Like besides me coming up here on a Sunday morning and standing behind this big chunk of wood called a pulpit and preaching it. I'm talking about declaring that truth to people who don't know it. Jesus commanded us to take this message to the people. You say, yeah, but I live it. I live the message. Good. Now, because you've earned the right to say it, let your words tell them why you live it. We need to bring this message to the people. Jesus not only has given us his ministry to continue what he began to do and to teach, but, but he also gave us his message. It's a message that we are commanded to proclaim. The message is that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's Acts 10, 42 and 43. Jesus commanded them to teach this. That's good news, by the way. That's good news. Acts 10, 42 and 43 is good news. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. That's not necessarily good news. That he's going to judge everyone. The good news is that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's great news. By the way, that's the gospel, right? The good news. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, we read 5.18 just a few minutes ago, but in 5.19 and 20, Paul said God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has given us his message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? If you're an ambassador of Christ, you represent Christ to the world. You're his ambassador. You carry his authority. You can go forth and proclaim truth as his representative. It says again in in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 that it's as though God were making his appeal through us. What's the appeal? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has given us his mission, yes, to continue what he began to do and to teach, but he also told us the message that we're supposed to teach. The message is be reconciled to God. When was the last time that we asked someone to be reconciled to God? Do you believe that if they are not reconciled to God, do you believe that they'll be eternally separated from him? That ought to motivate us to bring the good news to them, shouldn't it? Oh man, it's always a hard position to stand here and say that to you, right? Because it comes across like I'm saying, how dare you not do that? The reality is it's me too, right? Why aren't we excited about the mission that God has given us? Why aren't we excited to take this? Is, we say it's the good news. So good we don't tell anybody. This is great news, the gospel. So good we're going to tell all of our other friends who already believe it about it every single Sunday. It's good news. Be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. And that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Be reconciled to God. Verse three, it says, after his suffering, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. As the truth that's contained in this verse, cannot be overemphasized. That verse tells us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is rose from the dead? The tomb that once held his lifeless, crucified body is empty. It's empty. Jesus is alive. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who do not believe that. They refuse to believe it. But if Jesus is not resurrected, why are we here? Right? What are we doing here? What is this all about? Getting back to our mission here, folks, getting back to the why. Why do we do this? If Jesus isn't resurrected, then there's no point in all this. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is is useless and so is your faith. But then he said a few verses later in verse 20, he said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Your faith is not useless and neither, neither is this preaching. Paul was confident Paul was confident in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostles that Jesus chose, they were confident that Jesus had been raised. Luke wrote these books so that Theophilus would be confident. And here's the catch, guys. You and I should be confident too. Verse three says that Jesus presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs over the course of 40 days. Do you know that nearly every one of these apostles would later be murdered, murdered for their faith? These apostles were going to be brutally beaten and killed, thrown in prison, flogged. Why? Because they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. It was a truth that they could not deny, right? They had seen Jesus alive. They saw Jesus. They looked at him in the eyes after he was resurrected. How could they deny that he was resurrected? They couldn't. They were convinced. Luke was convinced. He wanted Theophilus to be convinced. And he wants you to be convinced as well. Why is it so important that you be convinced of the resurrection? I've come to the realization that my commitment, your commitment to his mission, is contingent upon our confidence in his resurrection. Our commitment to his mission is contingent upon our confidence in his resurrection. If you are not confident in the resurrection of Jesus, you will not be committed to his mission. It gets hard. Why don't we share our faith with others? Because you get persecuted when you do that, right? People look at you like you're crazy. You believe that? Listen, I have people that I love, family members who think I'm crazy because I believe this. Hey, you devoted your life. You're a pastor? Yeah. No, I really believe it. I really believe it. And all I get is laughed at. These apostles, they got beaten for it. But they couldn't deny it because they knew it was true. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're gonna have a hard time staying committed to his mission, to preach the gospel. Bible tells us that the world is gonna think you're a fool and they will. Verse four says that on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave these apostles one of the most, I, I think, one of the most challenging commandments uh, that's possible. He told them to wait. <laughs> just, you guys just go over in Jerusalem and wait. Do you guys like to Wait. I mean, nobody like when you when you're when you're like, oh no, I believe this. I'm looking at Jesus. He's alive. He says, go tell people about it. Aren't you just like, okay, I want to do that? And then he says, now now go sit and do nothing. Go wait. You know, I'm sure at this point the apostles were eager to get started. You want us to wait? Are you kidding me? I'm standing here looking at a guy who was dead a few days ago. Now he's alive. You tell me I should go tell everybody about it. And then you say, go sit and wait. I want to tell people about this. This is exciting. I'm looking at a dead man who's come back to life. It's pretty exciting news. But Jesus said that they weren't ready yet. Jesus knew they weren't ready yet. He knew that the ministry that he was calling his apostles to would be impossible for them if he did not also provide them with the means to accomplish it. They need the Holy Spirit. You see, not only has he given us his ministry to continue what he began to do and to teach, not only has he given us the message to testify that he is the judge of the living and the dead, And that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. It's this message of reconciliation. But lastly, Jesus has given us the means to accomplish it. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the tools that you give to a carpenter to build a house. You don't just send a carpenter out and say, build a house without giving him some tools. Right? That's an impossible mission if you don't have tools. Jesus didn't send us out without the tools we needed. He gave us the tool, his tool, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus knew that the apostles needed the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out the ministry that he was calling them to. And so do I, so do you. To attempt any ministry apart from the leading of the Holy Spirit is both arrogant and it's foolish. If we're going to be a part of the ministry that Christ began, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, and to give us the boldness that we're going to need for each and every step. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is the means that Jesus provides. Verse 6 says that when they met together, they said, They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the father has set by his own authority. Now keep in mind that just like the rest of the nation of Israel, the apostles had been waiting for the time when the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom. When Jesus died on the cross, this was a dark hour for the apostles, agreed? Because they thought that he had come to establish the kingdom. They didn't know that dying was a part of that. And so they were disheartened. They they were disillusioned. They didn't know what was going on. And then, can you believe it? He comes back from the dead. Now they're elated, right? Oh, we didn't see that play. We didn't know that was how you were going to do it. You were going to die and then come back to life. Now I get it. Man, you're ready to establish your kingdom now. See, the apostles probably thought, now's the time. He's going to establish his kingdom now. He just rose from the dead. Obviously, it's time to now establish the kingdom. Yay! But then Jesus says, no, 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 no. <laughs> you thought that, the, that me dying was a surprise? <laughs> Check this out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to establish my kingdom through you. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> You're going to do what? No, just do it now, Jesus. You just rose from the dead. Let's just make that thing happen right now. Establish your kingdom right now. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to establish my kingdom through you. I'll come back. But you guys are going to carry on what I started. You guys are going to go out and preach the gospel. You're going to lead others into this kingdom. Jesus tells them that the, the times and dates for things that the father said are not things that they need to concern themselves with. And he doesn't rebuke them for it. He doesn't get mad at them. I mean, their longing for the kingdom was good, but Jesus tells them that they don't have to worry about that. You know, we get distracted by the way, too. The disciples are like, oh yeah, let's do the kingdom thing right now. You don't think we do that kind of thing? Oh, we get very distracted. And Jesus has to keep reminding us of our mission. That's what this morning is about. It's a reminder about the mission that you're on. And so Jesus says to them in verse eight, well, verse seven, he says, you don't need to worry about that. He says, let me tell you what you need to worry about. Verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus redirects them back to their mission and he reminds them that he's going to give them the means to accomplish it. This mission, I can't say this enough, this mission is impossible if Jesus does not give them the means. You cannot complete the great commission without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to provide the power necessary to fulfill the mission that he's given us. And I wonder if you and I are lacking the boldness, the boldness that characterized these early believers, is it possible that we need to ask God to fill us with the same power of his Holy Spirit that we see in these early believers? To ask him to fill you with the boldness and the power that comes from following step-by-step the leading of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you the power to be his witness God wants us to bring that message to other people. He wants to make you bold. Ask him to. I challenge you this week, pick a day. I don't care, pick it. Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, every day. Every day would be cool. Get up in the morning and say, God, would you give me the boldness to be your witness today? I want you to put somebody in my path today and make it obvious that you are calling me to be bold enough to speak to this person about your love, to share the gospel with them? Are you bold enough to pray that prayer? Ask God to put someone in your path this week and then see if he does. See if he does. He, don't you, He wants people to come to him. You ask you pray a prayer like that, you can count on it. God's going to come through. And in that moment are you going to lean on the Holy Spirit and step out in faith and be bold? Or are you going to leave Jesus hanging there? He'll make it obvious to you. You're going to know it. But then are you going to come through? You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Christ's mission for Christ's followers is this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's his means, We need to bring the ministry of Jesus Christ, his ministry, in word and in deed, that's his message, to every corner of the earth. Let me say that again. Christ's mission for Christ's followers is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must bring the ministry of Jesus Christ in word and in deed to every corner of the earth. That's your mission. Are you up for it? you up for it? Yeah, okay. Sounds, sounds good. Maybe. Are you up for it? Yeah? I hope so. I hope so. It's an exciting mission. Verse 9 says, After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from sight, from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ is coming again. In his first coming, Jesus came. The Bible tells us that he came as a lamb, a lamb that was going to be sacrificed for the sins of mankind. His second coming, we are told that he's going to come as a lion. He's going to come like a lion to judge both the living and the dead. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? Are you committed to the mission that he's given to you to complete until he returns? I am sure that the apostles they had to have felt overwhelmed with the magnitude of the mission that Jesus gave them. You want me to preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's a tall order. That's a big mission. But they obeyed him. That's what makes reading Acts so exciting. And he came through, he filled them with his spirit. And it says, it says in Acts chapter 17, it says that these followers of Jesus, quote, turned the world upside down. I love that picture. Oh, we read that. We read like, oh, are the apostles in the early church turned the world upside down. Isn't that so awesome? Are you committed to, to turning the world upside down? Let me tell you something. This world needs to be turned upside down. This world needs Jesus Christ. And he's called us to be a part of that mission. Our mission is this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we must bring the ministry of Jesus Christ in word and deed to every corner of the earth. So let's get excited about that mission and let's turn the world upside down, shall we? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so not capable of this task. It's way too big for us. Way too big. And that's why you sent the Holy Spirit. You sent your Spirit to empower us, to give us the boldness we need to carry out this mission. God, would you help us? Would you help us to continue what you started We look at your life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're so amazed at the love that you showed to the least of these. We look at the way that you you interacted with people. You didn't just say it, you lived it. You didn't just live it, you taught it. You set such a great example for us, and, and then you asked us to try to do the same, and we feel overwhelmed. But we believe, God, that you will provide the power and the boldness necessary as we lean on your Holy Spirit and we proclaim the truth of the gospel until you return. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going we're gonna to take communion and ask the elders to come.